Good morning, family. Welcome to the building. Welcome online. It's great to be together. Um, if you wondered what those little red dots are, that's following the footsteps of Jesus uh, through this series and going to the places where he felt it was important to go, talking to the people that he felt it was important to talk to, and saying the things that he felt was important to say. You know, a few weeks ago I talked about the kingdom and I talked about how we are the ones who bring the kingdom wherever we go. You know, like Patrick and Will, bringing the kingdom into the prison. By the way, praise God for those guys. I'm so thankful for them and their ministry. Uh, But I mentioned to you our coaches and our teachers and how they bring the kingdom where they go in their schools, especially through athletics, is very a very powerful way to reach kids. So I've got a few pictures of some things that happened since uh, the last couple of weeks ago. I think this is the Ferndale-Linden game. And after the game, the players gathered on the field, the ones that wanted to, and they prayed together. And this comes out of uh, programs like Fellowship of Christian Athletes, you know, where coaches and leaders and other students uh, lead themselves in coming closer to Christ and then taking the stand after a game. There's a couple other pictures. Just cycle through. Uh, This is the LC and Linden Girls soccer match. And the same thing. They prayed afterwards. And then this is my favorite. This is after the big game between Linden and LC. There they are, huddled on the field, you know, together. Uh, just giving God glory for being in their lives. And it's such a wonderful thing to see. And so, I, again, I just want to say how important it is that each of us, no matter where we are, what we do, that we bring the kingdom with us. The kingdom is in us, right? The Holy Spirit. We bring him with us to those places where we work, those places where we play. And God goes with us and we have impact on the lives of those around us. It really is that simple. So talking about schools and sports, you know, different schools have different rules. Have you noticed that? And, uh, you know, I'm on Facebook a lot because that's how I keep track of you all. And so a friend of mine posted the other day after a high school game, I think it was maybe three or four weeks ago, and this is what he said, and I quote, just saw the dumbest thing on planet Earth, four quarters plus overtime of sweating, spitting, physical contact, and tackling. Yet when the game is over, the kids meet at the 50, but they don't shake hands. You've got to be kidding me. That was his quote. And I think that's a perfect example of what I want to talk to you about today from the big picture of Jesus. One of the things that Jesus talked about a lot, and it's the topic of hypocrisy. You know, again, these kids, for an hour and a half, there's full contact. I mean, there's nothing being held back. Then there's this one minute at the end of the game when they can't touch. I think that's a pretty good picture of hypocrisy. Hypocrisy's been around for a long, long time. And in Jesus' day, it was rampant. And it's part of our big picture series today because it was so important to Jesus because hypocrisy has to do with the heart. So you've heard that word a lot. You know, if you grew up in Linden, you know that Linden is famous for hypocrisy. Uh, We're accused of that all the time. So let's define it this morning. What is hypocrisy? Well, hypocrisy simply is acting like everything's okay on the outside when everything's not okay on the inside. And you can apply that however you want. And this is part of the big picture because Jesus loves our hearts. And that's why he came, right? He came for our hearts. And when God was picking a king for Israel way back before the time of Jesus, Samuel the prophet went to Jesse's family and he picked out the scrawniest and the unlikeliest son of Jesse to become king of Israel. And there was a reason for that. And Samuel said in 1 Samuel 16 that God does not see as man sees. When he looks at us, man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on our 
hearts. God looks at our hearts. God is primarily not so concerned about how you look and about your outward appearance. I mean, I'm glad you took some time this morning to look as good as you could before you came to church. But God, literally, he doesn't care. He looks at the heart. He looks at the heart. You see, you can fool people by looking good on the outside, but you cannot fool the Lord. God looks at our hearts. Samuel said again, The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart, and the Lord has appointed him. Again, he was talking about David. And so you got to ask the question, like I do, why, why was David considered a man after God's own heart? What was it about David that God loved? David was arguably one of the biggest most public sinners in the whole Bible when it comes to God's people, right? His sin included adultery. It included betrayal of one of his friends. It included murder of that same friend. It included uh, sins that caused even the death of his own son. And some of David's disobedient decision caused the death of thousands of people in his kingdom. I mean, David was a sinner. So why, why was he considered a man after God's own heart? Well, it's because of this. David, despite his faults, despite his severe sin, in his heart was still a lover of the Lord. His heart was toward God, and he messed up a lot, and he was not perfect by any means. And even though he sinned, he was honest. And God loved David's honesty. God loved that he was true in his heart. David would confess his sin when he was confronted He would repent from his sin. He would change his ways. He felt sorrow over the sins that he committed. And here's the thing that you got to understand about God. That God values the honest heart more than he values the perfect person. I want to say that again. You should write this down because it's powerful. God values the honest heart even more than he values the perfect person. King David wrote about God's desire for honesty in Psalm 51. Years later, he wrote, Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. So what does God want from us? What is God's heart for us today? Number one in your notes today, the big picture is that God wants us to be honest with our hearts. God wants us to be honest with our hearts. We're not going to be perfect But we can be honest. God wants me honest more than he wants me perfect. I'm not perfect. Hate to break it to you. Your pastor is not perfect. Do you want the most recent example of this? Oh, you're all excited now, aren't you? Well, last week my truck was low on fuel and the light was on and it was getting close, right? And I I can't ever remember what side the gas tank is on. Anybody else? Just can't remember what side. I mean, we have so many cars and vehicles. And so I made sure to look. And as I drove to the gas station, I literally, I'm not kidding, I was saying to myself, tank on the left, tank on the left, driver's side, driver's side, right? About halfway to the gas station, I got distracted, started thinking about something else. I pull up to the pumps. I get out of my truck. I walk around the front of my truck to the diesel pump. I pull out the handle, and there's no gas tank. I've pulled in on the wrong side of my truck. Once again, a Captain Obvious moment for you to enjoy with me today. You know, and as I stood there gazing at my truck in unbelief, a certain word escaped my lips. And nobody heard me, so don't worry. Lyndon does not know this about me, so keep it to yourselves, okay? 
Now, this word is actually okay if you live in the county. It's okay. <laughs> but if you live in the city of Lennon, uh, Lennon proper, it's not in the Lennon Dictionary. It's only in the Dairy Farmer <laughs> County Dictionary. So immediately upon saying this word, as I held the... You, can you see? No tank. As I held the hose... Immediately upon saying this word, the next words out of my mouth were, and, and this, is, this, is, this is me, sorry, Jesus. That's what I said. Now, come on, the word's not that bad of a word, right? I mean, it, half, half of our county uses it regularly. You're, you'll be using it in a week or two when you smell the wonderful smell of liquid gold, money in the air. So was the word so bad? No, but, but in that moment, I recognized something in my heart. That was a result of stress and frustration and impatience. I was acutely aware that my heart was not right. My heart was not right. And I know more than saying the word that I said, God wants me honest about my heart. Like, like I really don't think God's that concerned about the word, but he is concerned about my heart. And what comes out of me in those moments of stress really reveals the condition of my heart. And, that, and, and what it really reveals is that there's something in my heart that the Holy Spirit is still working on. And so what do I do? How do you know what that is? Well, I go through the list of the fruits. Love, joy, peace. Oh, patience, right? And so, okay, yep, Lord, patience. You know, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness. Um, I left one out, but self-control. Goodness, self-control. Wait for it, right? Self-control. There it is. There's the one. Because, you know, we can think a lot of things in our heads, those thoughts that come from our hearts, but we don't have to say them. And we don't have to do them. And that's a function of self-control that the Holy Spirit has been working for years on my heart to remind me that, Kurt, you know, not everything that goes through your head has to be spoken, right? And so there's this thing called self-control. Luckily, there were no witnesses, only a momentary lapse in vocabulary, so nobody knows that I'm not perfect. Now, my mom had a solution for bad words. Anybody know what that is? Paul Mall Live. Paul Mall Live, or any other kind of soap that was handy. And, and God also has a solution for imperfection. He does. It's not soap. He doesn't work on the outside of us. God has a solution for imperfection, but he doesn't have a solution for dishonesty. Do you know that? He has a solution for imperfection. God has given us the solution for that. He doesn't have the solution for honesty. Only we have that solution. Only we decide how honest we will be about the condition of our heart and what we need. And here's what God wants for us because he knows we're going to fall and fail. What God wants is he just wants us to be honest about it. So that when those times come, and they will, we will come to him in honesty and say, Sorry, Jesus. Sorry, Jesus. I'll work on this condition of my heart. I'll allow your spirit to work in me. So I want to talk about that just for a few minutes today. Why is this so important? And why is this a part of the big picture that we've chosen to talk about today? And let's talk about the heart just for a minute. Your heart is really your mind. They're interchangeable. When the Bible says heart, it means mind. Your heart is your consciousness. Your heart is your awareness of right and wrong. And your heart is your awareness of God. It's your awareness of God. That's why you can lean in your heart toward God or you can lean in your heart away from God. You can lean in your mind toward God or away from God. Interchangeable. 
So your heart is, is good and bad consciousness. It's, it's, it's conscious awareness, but it's also consciousness of God. All of those things lump together. And your heart contains your desire to worship Him and to love Him and then to allow Him to help us to love others. Love God and love others, right? That's what it's all about. And really, all God is looking for in us is honesty. Admitting that we need Him. Admitting that we're desperate for Him, like Amy prayed this morning. What a beautiful prayer. We're desperate for the Lord Jesus Christ every day. I am. I am. I hope that you are. But honesty admits that. Honesty says, yes, I need you, Jesus. I need you, Jesus, more than I need to be perfect. Lord Jesus, I need you. You know, the first three steps to recovery in Alcoholics Anonymous are all about this honesty. A, admit we're powerless to heal ourselves. B, believe that God can restore us to sanity. And C, commit my will and commit my mind over to the care and the love of God to change me, to bring real and lasting change. Because really, even addiction is our attempt to fix what's broken on the inside. We apply it to the outside, but we're trying to fix what's broken on the inside. So what is hypocrisy? Hypocrisy is trying to look good on the outside when things are not good on the inside. Trying to look good to cover up our real need, which is the need for the love of the Lord Jesus Christ to come and heal what's broken inside, to come and heal our hearts. That's why Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for they recognize their need for God. That's what poor in spirit means. We recognize our need for God. So in Mark chapter 7, we're going to spend a few minutes there. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles. Mark chapter 7, starting in verse 5. You know, the religious people were complaining to Jesus about the disciples because the disciples were not washing their hands. And we've had a lot of, of, you know, uh, ideas brought to hand washing over the last several months, haven't we? So keep in mind, this hand washing of the disciples didn't clean anything. This was a ritual. This was a tradition. Basically, they would cup their hands... And they would let the water run over their hands. And Jews do this to this day. This is a current picture that you'll see in Jerusalem. I saw these these ritualistic hand-washing stations all through Jerusalem. Even the public restroom had a special station set aside for this ritual hand-washing. And for the Jews, they, they washed their hands just in case they had come in contact with somebody unclean, a Samaritan or, or a dead animal or something unclean. So they were constantly, it was like spiritual OCD. They were constantly washing their hands to cleanse themselves, particularly before they ate. Okay, So starting in verse 5, Jesus brings this up. The Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders? Get that tradition. But they eat with defiled hands. And he said to them, Well, well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and you hold on to the tradition of men. So here Jesus is with the Jews once again, and they confront him, particularly the religious religious leaders. They confront him because his disciples are not keeping the traditions, not the commandments, but the traditions of the religious system. Now, there had been 300 to 600 religious laws added to the commandments. 
And so the Jews were constantly, especially the Pharisees, constantly trying to keep all of these rules to be righteous. That's what they had to do in order to be right before God. And they looked really good on the outside and their hands were clean. But then Jesus comes and says, well, but what about the inside? What about the inside? What about your thoughts? What about your hearts? You can't clean that by running a little water over your hands. Now, the Jews, their perspective of sin was that it was something like a germ that would come from the outside, like uncleanness would come from the outside and would defile them on the outside, and that would make them spiritually impure. I mean, can you see how kind of crazy that is, right? And Jesus is pointing this out to them. And that's why they didn't want to be around the Samaritans. They believed they would be made impure. But Jesus comes, and Jesus begins to teach them that sin is not from the outside pressing in. Sin is not about the things that we take in to our body, but sin is rather like a virus within us that comes about all the time. We can't avoid it. We're born with it. Our hearts are infected with it, and it comes through our thoughts. That's what Jesus says sin is or impurity is. So we can't be made pure by outside treatments. We can't be made pure by how good we look. We can't be made pure by how often we go to church. Uh, That would be called works, right? Hopefully we we want to come to church because we know Jesus loves us. But we don't go to church to to become right with God. That's only treatment on the outside. And Jesus is saying it's only treatment on the inside that will cure you. Only addressing the problem on the inside that will make you well. And that brings us to number two today, that our problem is internal. Our problem is a heart condition. I can tell you that today. My problem is a heart condition. My problem is that I'm still being restored and changed on the inside of me. Now, let me illustrate. Eleven days ago on a Wednesday morning, just like any other day, I got up. I had my time with Jesus as usual. I went to take a shower. I walked by the mirror and I thought, oh, that's not right. Upon closer look, I see little welts, things popping up on my chest right under what used to be my pectoral muscle. And (laughs) thank you. And uh, it's really disturbing, actually, to me. And my first thought was, oh, no, I slept with a spider, you know, and you kind of wonder, how did this happen? And so luckily I'm married to a nurse, and so I call Nurse Gwen over and I say, hey, Nurse Gwen, uh, what's wrong with me? And without missing a beat, she says, shingles. You've got shingles. How could I have shingles? I don't have any stress in my life, you know. And so... And so shingles come, if you didn't know, you'll learn one thing in church today, and that is if you had chicken pox, there's a little virus that stays in the nerve nerve endings, and over time, if the conditions are right, if something happens, enough stress in your life, uh, they will actually break camp, and they will move around that nerve all the way around one side of your body or the other side of your body, and they have to stop at the middle because there's a break in the nerve. But they'll move this way, this way, or over the top. Some people get them in their eyes, in their mouth, behind their eyelids. Horrible. Fortunately, I only had it on my on my belly, right? So she says, call Dr. Dixon, go in, see him right away. So I get him on the phone. They're like, yeah, come right in. We can arrest the development. Isn't that great? So I go right in, get some antivirals, and start taking them. And it did arrest the development of this. However, it was still very, very painful and itchy. And I know a lot of people have it a lot worse, but it was bad enough, right? So for the last week and a half, I've had this, it feels like you've been dragged on a road. That's kind of how it feels, right? And, and then Dr. Dixon said something interesting to me. 
And this was, this, this caught my attention because I thought this is like sin. He said, you know, even though we can arrest the development and we can get rid of the virus, he said there are some people that experience like phantom pain for months, even years after this is gone. You'll still have pain in your nerve endings. You'll still feel that burning. Even though it's not actually there, it still feels like it's there. You know, much like a phantom limb. People sometimes feel a phantom limb, right? And will still feel the effects of this virus even though it's gone. And I thought to myself, that's like the effects of sin you feel even though you have a new nature. Even though Jesus has come and and given you a new nature and forgiven and cleansed all of your sin, you're clean on the inside in Christ, right? Yet we still feel the effects and the symptoms of sin in our life. And the good news about this is, what's so great about it is, is don't be discouraged when you fail. You're still clean. You're still healthy. Jesus still has you. He has still healed you on the inside as far as restoring you to God, but you're still going to deal with that old nature. You're still going to deal with the symptoms of sin. You know, you can apply lotion like I did. I put lotion on and it helped for a little while, but eventually it's going to come back. You're going to feel it again. And this is what Jesus is saying to the Jews. Purity is not an issue of washing your hands or looking good on the outside. It's an issue of the heart. In fact, Jesus said, you honor me with your lips... But your heart is far from me. You honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. And so what does Jesus want from us? What does Jesus want from us? Does he want perfection? No, he's going to make us perfect when we see him face to face. He wants us honest. Jesus wants us honest. You know, last week we heard Jesus say in Matthew 5, 8, Blessed are the pure in heart. For they will see God. And I think another way of thinking about purity is thinking about honesty. And if the pure in heart are the ones that are going to get to see God, and that's pretty much our goal in life, right? We're all hoping, believing, resting assured that we're going to see God. Then how are we pure in heart? Well, we know that initially we're pure in heart because Jesus makes us pure in heart, right? We're saved. And so we're pure in heart, we're righteous, we're made right with God through Jesus Christ. Let's not forget that. That is number one. If nothing else happens in our life, that's the most important thing. But I do believe that, that this purity or this, this, uh, this ability to allow God to make us more and more like Christ all the time comes from this thing called honesty. Comes from this thing called honesty. To worship Him. Because we want to, because we're grateful for his love. To respond to him because he's loved us. To let Jesus uh, have his way in our heart through the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Again, he has saved us, but then, but then to let him have his way in our hearts. To so fully receive his love, to be so convinced that we're acceptable in the sight of God, that we're free to love people the way that he wants us to love people. And I think in practice, we become more and more pure, more and more honest by our daily continual acknowledgement of how desperate we are for Jesus. That's what does it for me. You know, when a bad word escapes my lips, it just reminds me how desperate I am for Jesus. I can't do it by myself, on my own, right? And John affirmed this in First John. He said, if we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and we're, living in the, we're not living in the truth. But here it is. If we confess our sins to him, 
He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all, from all wickedness. Just before he wrote this, John said that if we live honestly with one another, we will find this thing called fellowship. We will find this thing called community. And I want to say to you today, and this is such a great teaching for our church, I want to say to you today that we find community through honesty. We find community through honesty. You know, we don't find community or fellowship by, by us going around acting and looking like we're perfect. Now, I'm not saying have a license to go sin and look as bad as you can. Of course not. But what I'm saying is that perfection doesn't invite community. Honesty invites community. That's why James said, confess your sin to one another and pray for another so that you may be healed. Hypocrisy. What does hypocrisy bring? That we look perfect on the outside. Hypocrisy brings isolation. Nobody can measure up. Nobody can measure up to our, you know, our front of, of perfection. And so it is being honest with one another, whether it's one other person, whether it's your small group, whether it's your family or your friends or like me, whether it's the whole church, you know, it's being honest and saying, I need Jesus like you need Jesus. Let's find fellowship around him and let's share our hearts and let's share our struggles with one another so that we can have community and we can be healed. Really what honesty does is it invites others to enjoy the grace of Christ in your story. That's what honesty does. So Jesus follows up with the crowd and he explains to them about our hearts. Here it is. Now we're going to be in uh, verse 14 of Matthew se- or of Mark 7. Jesus follows up with the crowd. He explains about our hearts and about where impurity comes from. He called the people to him and he said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about this parable. They're like, what do you mean? And he said to them, are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him since it enters not his heart, but his stomach And it's expelled. I love this about Jesus. He made a poop joke in the Bible. It was so awesome. For what, for, for from within, out of the heart of man, it's already there like a virus, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. You should be able to find yourself in one of those words, right? All of these evil things come from within, and they are what defile a person. What defiles us is what comes from within. And my take on that is that these are all selfish. This whole list that Jesus gives us is selfishness. It's when we put ourselves above the others in our lives. And so it's the opposite of love. And what does God want from us? He wants us to return his love, and then he wants us to love our neighbor, to love those that that are in our lives. But all of these are selfish, and that's our condition. This is like having spiritual shingles. It really is. These are the conditions that defile us. And there's only one cure for selfishness, as far as I can tell, and that is love. Love is the only cure for selfishness. Paul said in Romans 5, we know how dearly God loves us because he's given us the Holy Spirit to do what? To fill our hearts with his love. 
That's why we have the Holy Spirit. That brings me to my last point for you today. Number three, I need to let the Holy Spirit heal my heart. You know, after you receive Christ, this is the most important thing that you can allow God to do in your life. This is, this is the thing that takes precedence over everything else. Once you've received Christ and you're made right with God, the next thing God wants you to do is to allow the Holy Spirit who lives in you to bring healing to your heart, to bring restoration to your life in those places that you've been broken and bruised and felt betrayal and felt abandonment. Those are the places that God wants His Holy Spirit to heal. Why? So that you can become a healthy, loving person. So that you can love people the way you've been loved. And guess what? The more that you understand how much God loves you, the better equipped you are to love others. Why? Because it becomes less about you and more about Him and more about others in our lives. This is a constant challenge for us, but I'm telling you, salvation, and Steve said it so well last week, salvation is free gift of God. It's His grace. But what comes after is this allowing the Holy Spirit to heal and restore us to the place to let God's love heal our heart, heal our motivations, heal our intentions. And don't miss this. This comes through honesty. You can't, you can't change if you're hiding. You can't change if you're always working to try to look good on the outside. You can only change through being honest about your struggles. Honest with Him, with Jesus, but also honest with one another. That is the key, and that is the choice we make as children of God, as, as members of community. We make that choice every day. How honest am I going to be with my friends, with my spouse, with my children? All of our sin originates here in our heart. And the more honest we are about the thoughts that we struggle with, the stress and anxiety we struggle with, you know, the desire to sin that we struggle with, the more honest we are, the more we're going to be healed, the more God is going to restore our hearts. You know, this is why Jesus gives us a new nature, and he wants us to live out of our new nature. And the hard thing is, we still have an old nature. (laughs) And why God didn't just remove it and say, I don't know, but I have to believe that God loves it when we overcome the old nature because of the new nature. I think that's more glorifying to him than if he had just removed the old nature. So we do struggle still with selfishness, but we are created anew in Christ Jesus to do the good things that God has given us to do, to love each other well. You know, that's what God wants us to do. And, and, and this comes through the Holy Spirit's influence on our hearts. You know that when you receive Christ, God moves in, right? God is in your heart. God is in your mind. God is living within you through his Holy Spirit. Jesus sent him to do that. And so it makes sense to me that the more space you give the Holy Spirit, the more he's going to heal and change you on the inside. The more he's going to flood out, if you will, all those the list of things that Jesus gave us. The Holy Spirit will, as you give him space and room, he'll, like a flood, the floodwaters will rise in your heart and in your mind and begin to flush out and flood out these thoughts, these desires of self-centered nature. That's how God works. So it makes sense to me that we need, we need to give the Holy Spirit as much space as we possibly can. And that is an act of our will. And that is a choice we make to let him have access to our hearts. And, and a lot of this comes through confession. It comes through confessing our sins, 
talking with another brother, talking with another sister, talking with a spouse, talking with a child, a parent. You know, it doesn't matter. But having those conversations that say, this is what I'm struggling with today. There's something cathartic that happens, something that that brings change to your mind, to your heart when you do that. But, But really, a lot of it simply is making space, the most space possible for God in your heart. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians that we see and we reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. Now, I can't tell you exactly how this will work for you. I can tell you what works for me. I make space for the Holy Spirit simply by being alone with Him. You know, being alone with God. That's, that's all I can tell you. You know, I love my alone times with the Lord. I love those times when I'm in his word. And whether you're a morning person or an evening person, it doesn't matter. I happen to wake up early. But having time in his word, you know, worshiping with you is huge for me. There's something that the Holy Spirit does in what we call corporate worship or church worship. There's a way that God moves through our confession in worship that I've never seen anywhere else. This is, this is where God does a lot of work in my heart. It's just through corporate worship. But there's also times alone with him when I might turn on the radio and listen to some worship. Also times of just being in prayer, inviting him to be with me. And then there's those, those daily moments when I mess up, when a word slips through my lips, being immediately aware that, that Jesus is with me through his spirit and he's not going to leave me. And he already knows what I said, so I might as well fess up, right? I might as well say, sorry, Jesus, and really mean it. Right? Because he's working on that area of my heart. So again, I know some of this seems basic to us, but I think also some of us stop growing in our relationship with Christ. We stop changing in what God wants to bring about in fruit in our life because we don't give God enough space in our life. And so what I want to do as I close today is just invite you to think about giving him, no matter how much space you're giving him, think about giving him a little more. That would be good. So maybe you're giving him a lot of space. Think about giving him a little more. Maybe you're giving him no space. Think about giving him a little more. And what would that look like for you? What would that look like for you? And I also believe that one of the ways that we are changed and filled is when we do have that time of of sharing with one another, where we share our struggles with one another. We confess our sins to one another because that's how we are healed. So would you stand with me this morning? I'm going to invite the worship team to come. And I want to pray for you specifically about this today. And I want you to know that when I, when I teach something like this, I'm, I'm teaching to myself first. I mean, this is my life as well as yours. I'm no different than you. But this morning, uh, as I was getting ready to preach, this thought came to mind. You know, when the Pharisees cup their hands and hold them under the water until the water flows over their hands... What they're trying to do is is cleanse something on the inside through something on the outside. And it, it doesn't work. But what a powerful picture it is because water represents the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said to the woman at the well, you know, the Holy Spirit will be inside you and he'll be like like water that is, you know, rising up in you. And I think it'd be good for us today, if you want to, if if this is your heart, just to cup your hands in front of you, and I want to pray. And my prayer is going to be that, that you'll experience a greater uh, a greater presence or or more space of the Holy Spirit, not because there's more of Him. He's come in fullness, but because you've made more space for Him. 
So really what we're saying is, Lord Jesus, come and wash over my life. Jesus, thank you for your precious Holy Spirit who lives in us. Thank you, Jesus, for for starting this process of relationship with God by your death and your resurrection and your forgiveness. But Jesus, it didn't stop there. You, You went to heaven and you sent the Spirit to live in us. To rise up in us like a fountain. To flood out all the debris and all the hurts, all the pains, all the selfishness, Lord. You've come to flood us with your love. And Jesus, it's because of your love that we can change and we can love more like you. So Lord, simply this morning in this moment, we say, Holy Spirit, flood my life. Help me give you more space. Help me invite you to take up more space in my life so that I can love you better and I can love my brother better. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We've picked a song to help you express this this morning, so just... Let the Holy Spirit fill you as you sing today.